I was so scared, don't show me love. Now I do it like a saint while I run it up. Tell me, boy, you insane on the way it's up. It's your welcome to the 20s, I holding up. I was so scared, don't show me love. Now I do it like a saint while I run it up. Tell me, boy, you insane on the way it's up. It's your welcome to the 20s, I holding up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to KeyCast, the podcast that unlocks new doors. Yes, yes, yes. We know, we know. We've been gone for like, what, five months now after promising a more consistent schedule. And we don't want to make excuses, but I think you guys just have to realize that at the end of the day, this is a hobby for us. And it's definitely not on the front, forefront of our minds. Um, we did have a couple guests scheduled throughout the summer, to be honest. However, those did quickly fall through. And then September hit, which meant school began. And three out of the four of us here at KeyCast just began our first years at universities, which meant we were bombarded with schoolwork that took up a lot of our time and made us extremely busy. And to us, school is definitely more important than this because uh, it is a hobby for us, right? Um, we hope you understand our reasoning. And then if you don't understand it, then it is what it is, man. Uh, all right. The last time we had an episode... We talked about the MLB. We bashed them for their plan for their regular season. And we praised the NBA. We held them to high regards for their bubble plan. Same with the NHL. After seeing what the MLB and the NFL had to go through with COVID-19 and their plan, the NBA somehow decided that their plans was a great idea and we should follow suit. I want to start off this episode by speaking about the risks of sports leagues returning. Guys... Do you think that it's worth putting this many people at risk for sports to happen right now? Is it worth it? Well, yeah, Um, in my opinion, I think, yeah, it is really risky. But, like, if you look at it at, at the same time, right, most, like, sports, like, leagues and organizations, they don't really look at their health because it's more of a business at the end of the day, right? Like, their main goal is to generate revenue. So, in that in that sense, I don't think they will stop. Like, even if they could, they wouldn't because... Like, it's at the end of the day, like I said, it's a business, right? So they're going to always have to have the money coming in, regardless of if it's a pandemic or not, right? Like, for example, like Walmart, right? It's just that players are just, you know, like, basically, I guess, like, like you know, items that are being sold to, to the public as entertainment. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I don't really think it can ever really stop, no matter how bad it gets, because they're going to need to generate revenue. But yeah, it would be probably, like, smarter to maybe, like, not proceed with it. But, but, but looking at, like, you know, NBA... NHL and all their like their safety precautions. I think it's safe to say it's okay for it, unless you're like you know MLB and like those crazy people. Because I don't I don't know what what he's doing, right? Like there was so many people with Corona during the season. Like even teams were like full teams were shut down due to this. But I think as long as they just like you know maintain like the safety protocols, I don't really think there should be a, that big of an issue to be honest. Honestly, I think the league should continue. But my problem is with fans in the building. You know. I know, like, the NBA, for example, they lost a lot of money because they didn't have fans for the end of last season and the playoffs and stuff like that, and they want to make that money back. But I think that uh, we shouldn't have fans in the building, you know. I know the NFL is doing it and stuff, but it just increases the risk and the chances of every of players catching COVID, of uh, the cases rising because the buildings, even if you're social distancing and stuff like that, they're still going to hold a lot of people in the buildings. And... For the the NBA wants to do some kind of moving bubble and stuff like that, it's it's not looking like a moving bubble to me because the other day for the for the uh, the season debut they had Golden State play the Nets and the Nets are in New York and Golden State had to go all the way from California to New York to play the the Nets and then go back to Golden State and play games. You know, I don't know. 
the chance the chance for players catching COVID increases if if it continues like that. Elias, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, you bring up a great point in saying that like Golden State traveling from San Francisco to Brooklyn doesn't make like any sense. The moving bubble is 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 fine as long as it's in within a restricted area. If you look how the NHL is doing it right now, they have the they have four divisions. Each division is geographically located within the, where the teams are in the in the countries that they're playing in, and they only play against teams in their division. So there's seven Canadian teams. They only play against the seven Canadian teams. There's uh, the Western Conference teams like like LA, Anaheim, Colorado, uh, San Jose. They only play against each other. They don't face guys like. New York Rangers, like they don't go across the country. The moving bubble is fine. I like. I get the sense of saying, okay, we, it's impractical for us to do a whole bubble like we did this summer with thirty teams or thirty thirty two teams or whatever. How many teams you have in your league? But as long as the bubble is restricted into a certain area, then yeah, I can I can say that yeah, that kind of makes some more sense. But the way that they're doing it right now, like we bashed the MLB a few months ago for doing this, and they're just doing like almost the exact same thing. They're putting way too many people at risk, not only within the the teams, but the people without the teams, as you said, with the fans. Also, as much as you want to put rules against them, people, NBA players, MLB players, what whatever league you're in, they're bound to break COVID protocols. We saw it with Dwayne Haskins in the NFL, who played for Washington football team. He broke the COVID protocols not once but twice, putting him at risk, his whole entire team at risk, and the people that he's faced at risk. So the way that they're doing it right now is completely unsafe, in my opinion. Uh, I I can see Juno's perspective in saying, yeah, it makes sense for them to do it because they need money and this is a business at the end of the day. However, the amount of people that they're putting at risk of doing it, is, is sports an essential service? I don't think so. And as much as I love sports... I just I don't see the 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 sense as to why it makes sense to do it in the first place and put all these people at risk. If you get what I mean. Yeah, remember when uh the bubble was happening and Lou Williams was at a strip club in uh was it Atlanta or something like that, and he had to come back and then they were told not to go anywhere. You know, he broke the COVID protocols. Or when uh Daniel House supposedly uh. We don't know exactly what happened. I'm not going to say what happened, but I'm sure a lot of people heard about it. And he broke the rules and he got kicked out of the, the bubble and he couldn't play and stuff like that. You know, there were rules that time. Like the players were in your reach. Now they're really not. They're going to go back home to their to wherever cities they live or where they play and they're going to do stuff and you're not going to know about it. I know you're going to constantly test them, but you're still not. You can't really control the players, you know, not especially not the way that they did in the bubble. Yeah, I, I agree, actually, with you guys, to be honest, because I guess if you could look at the story with the Seahawks uh, uh, defensive back, he's like the undrafted rookie, right? And someone at his position where, like, you know, his career was at a very pivotal point where he had to kind of like, prove himself. So he really had no, like, no space for errors. And even people like that, right, like in that position, if they're also, you know, sneaking women into the hotel rooms and whatnot and breaking, uh, you know, protocols, I, I think you guys are correct, like, in saying that there is bound to somebody, you know what I mean, to at least break it. Because if someone, at, like, you know, at that position where their their situation is so, like, vital, right, and if they're breaking it, like, who says uh, veterans or established players, players won't, right? And I think on that moving bubble, as we already saw with the MLB, 
it was n- very not effective. You know, a lot of a lot of key players contracted COVID nineteen, and not only that, a lot of teams went out of like you know they were not able to play. So so yeah, um, I think I think yeah, it's good, but it's also bad. So I just think it's like it all depends on how the league and the GMs played out. To be honest. You bring up the MLB and how bad it was. I'll say the MLB was bad because of the way that it was like coordinated. It was coordinated so it was such an unorganized way of doing it, and that's why we bashed it, and that's why we had like a thirty-minute discussion just trashing on Rob Manfred about the way, like the process of him doing it. And the NBA and the NFL have said, you know what? Even though that was such a bad idea, it makes a lot of sense. Would like I, I just don't understand. I don't comprehend like the thoughts behind Adam Silver and Roger Goodell by saying that makes sense. Like, Adam Silver has always been a commissioner that has been highly praised. He's been a guy that a lot of people like love, really, because of the way that he's handled things in the past. And he's just handling this, in my opinion, in, in a horrible, horrible way. I think that they should follow Gary Bettman, who, in my opinion, is one of the worst commissioners out there. He's doing this in such a great way, and, and that's such like a crazy thing for me to say because I hate Gary Bettman. But also, I'll say this: the risks that they're putting not only onto the fans but the risk of an athlete here. If an athlete contracts COVID nineteen, it's scientifically proven that they're not the same person that they were as before. We've seen it in the past with MLB players. We saw Eduardo Rodriguez, who played on the Boston Red Sox. He had heart inflammation because of COVID nineteen and had to miss the entire season. They're putting risk on the players who might not have the exact same careers as they did before. Because at the end of the day, this is the way that these people make money. This is how they make a living. And you're putting them at risk. If they get COVID-19, then you know, they might not be able to perform in the same way as they used to before. And honestly, let's say you're NBA team and you have hopes for making the playoffs this season. And one of your star players gets COVID. 14 days, they have to quarantine. It might even be longer than 40, 14 days if, let's say, they test positive again. Like, okay, space of 14 days, you're probably going to play like five games, five, six games. Those five, six games could be the difference between you making the playoffs and you missing it. Yeah. Is, is it worth for you to build, spend so much money on building this this team, constructing this team that you think can become like a playoff contender or uh, a championship contender? And then that just falls apart within minutes because of a virus. And then you lose all your hopes of that season because of a virus. It doesn't make sense economically, and it doesn't make sense for safety protocols. I, I just don't comprehend the thoughts behind the owners, behind the board of governors, behind Adam Silver, and saying that this is a great way in conducting the season. If they did it in a moving bubble within geographically located centers where the teams only face each other within the division, then, okay, yeah, that'll make a lot of sense. I'll actually, like, you know, you're trying to do your best to limit the spread of the disease. You know, good for you. I get that why you're doing it and you're trying to limit the spread. That's like a win-win situation. But the, the, the NBA is like, no, we're just going to have teams from California go to New York and et cetera and vice versa. And that doesn't make any sense. We're allowing fans into the stadium. It, it just, it boggles my mind how NBA saw what happened in the MLB. They saw what happened with teams like the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals where almost their entire seasons were derailed because of COVID. And they said, you know what? That right there, that's got to be a great idea. Like, that's insane to me. And as much as I respect Adam Silver, as much as I think he's a great commissioner for sports today, he made a horrible decision. What I'm about to say, I'm not 100% sure because I didn't really look into it that deeply. It's just like, you know, a thought. So like, I, I just have a question. It's like, 
Uh, in your opinion, do you think that they're saving like more money financially by not doing the bubble, like not doing like you know a geographically located bubble compared to, you know, before like what they were doing, you know, before the like, the regular bubble like last year? Is it like a big difference in like how much money they're spending or how much money they're losing? I'm to, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure. However, I do know that doing creating a bubble, creating all the extremities of a bubble, it it costs a lot of money. So maybe like that could be a very big point. So maybe when Adam, whoever said it's a great idea, maybe he meant it's a great idea financially. Because at the end of the day, it's sad to say, but a lot of these general managers, a lot of business owners in general, do not care about the people underneath. You know, like like going away from sports. We like we for example, we say it all around the world. Like for example, there's the the iPhone factory in Bangladesh, right? They're revolting against the owners, right? Because honestly speaking, they don't really care. And yeah, it's high profile, like like in the in sports right but at the end of the day as we saw in mlb they don't really care even with the heart inflammation getting surgery right they didn't care you know right it's like the fans did but did the owners not really right so if this is saving them a lot of money this is a this is probably the reason why they're not doing that right so that's just how i see it in my opinion i i get, I get what you're saying like they're saving money but i wasn't saying like create a bubble as in, like what they did in the summer i'm i never but i mean like each team should play in their respective cities, including Toronto going to Tampa now. So each team should play in their home arenas. However, they should only face teams that are located near them. So that Miami can only should only play against Orlando, Toronto, who's in Tampa. So Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, Washington, Charlotte, uh, teams in like that are actually near them geographically. They shouldn't have to travel. They shouldn't be able to travel to California, which is like a hot spot for COVID nineteen nowadays, right? They shouldn't travel across the country because they're putting themselves at risk even more. Uh, if they like played against teams that were only located near them, so New York would only face against Brooklyn, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, teams of, of like that nature. Uh, Chicago will only face Detroit, Cleveland, Indiana, and like uh, like teams like that. Why should they travel across the country? That, that to me doesn't make sense. I was saying let them play only against teams in their division or not just division. You're going to have to expand the divisions like how the NHL did. But teams that are geographically located near each other should only play against them. But they should still play in their home arenas because ha- creating a bubble right now is impractical. I'll say that. Like I have to agree. It's really impractical. Honestly, me and Ilias were speaking about this earlier because there's basically five teams in every division. And I told Elias that if I was Adam Silver, I'll basically make them because they all the teams in the same division play each other like four times a year. I'll basically make them play each other right then and there, two home games, two away games for each team against different teams. And then once we're done with that, I'll take like two or three teams from that division and swap them with another two or three teams from the other division. Like let's say Atlantic Division has 76ers, Nets, Celtics, Knicks, and Raptors. Raptors are basically in a Tampa right now, so they're in the Southeast Division. And then the Southeast Division has Mad, the Magic, the Hawks, the Hornets, and I'll take like two, two, three teams and just swap them, and then basically, like the Magic and the Hawks are basically gonna pay, pay fix the seventy sixes, the Nets, the Celtics. That way, they're in a certain geographical location for a while. They can play their games and then just keep rotating like that. But first, you make them play all the teams in their division, like Elias said, and then you expand and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's really smart as well because teams are not traveling as much. Like you limit the amount of travel as much as you can while still having the NBA season. That is a plus plus. But the NBA, the way they're doing it, they're conducting it like the COVID nineteen does not exist, and that to me is just a completely wrong way of thinking. They should say, look, we understand that COVID nineteen exists. Let's try to limit the amount of travel. 
the thing was with the NBA is that they they are conducting the season as if it's regular, like if it's normal and without COVID nineteen, there is no world pandemic that everybody at home is dealing with. And that to me is completely wrong and a, a wrong way of thinking. And Adam Silver, I don't know what got into his head. I don't know if he's just thinking financially, but for safety protocols for the world. This does not make any sense for them to complete this season in the way that they are doing it. I agree with that, you know, but I trust Adam Silver. He's a great, uh, great uh, league executive. I trust. I trust him for. I trust him to handle it. He's a great commissioner. I trust him to be able to handle it. And we really haven't seen a lot of COVID cases so far, and we're like seven games deep into the season. So, like for each team, so we'll see how it goes. It's about almost 60-something games left for the season, but I think they can handle it, you know. Like, I'm sure they, they, they sat down and actually thought about it for a while before they decided to move on. Yeah, I'm sure there's a plan. I'm just saying, I, I just I just wanted to put my thoughts out there that the original plan that they went into the season with was just, didn't, like, sit quite well with me. Um, but... To be fair, we all are sports fans. We all watch the NBA, regardless of what happens with COVID. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is an entertaining entertainment product for us. I'm a huge sports fan. Everybody here watches the NBA. You know, it, it, this is shaping up with the pandemic. This is shaping up to be one of the most crazy seasons we have seen in a while. A lot of players are coming fresh out of the injury, hungry to compete. Uh, and the NBA Finals are, might be a crazy one. So who do you guys think will come out of the Eastern Conference, will come out of the Western Conference? And at the end of the day, who will lift? Larry O'Brien. Well, I'm not going to lie. Like, this year, Brooklyn is, like, a, you know, very scary team in my opinion, right? Because it's KD, he's finally back. You know, Kyrie's going crazy, and there's a lot of other players backing them. So, you know, I... Okay, honestly speaking, I don't really believe maybe they're going to take it all the way. But I, I hope they do, because right now, in my opinion, that's who I'm, like... You know, like, I really, like, enjoy watching them. But we never know how the rookies will play out, right? Because there's a lot of very influential rookies coming in this year with Wiseman, Anthony, and also, like, you know, LaMelo, right? So how they'll impact their teams, I don't know, right? So honestly, I guess let's let's take, let time take its course. But how about you, Elias, and Rasiju? Like, what do you guys think? I have the Lakers coming out to us. I think the Lakers are going to win it again. But I think this year, I think the Bucks are going to come out of the East. I think the Bucks and the Nets are going to face in the conference finals, but I think the Bucks are going to win. Giannis has two years in a row. He hasn't come out of the East, and we'll be expecting that. Last year, their performance in the playoff, it wasn't good. I know he got injured in, like, the fifth game and everything, but Miami really handled them. So I think he's coming back stronger, better, and wiser. And now they got Drew Holiday, Middleton. You know, they have better pieces around him. And if they had gotten Bogdanovich, I might have picked them to slap the Lakers in the finals, but no. I think they're going to go to the finals and face with the Lakers, and I think the Lakers are going to win. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really fair pick. I'm not going to lie to you. The Bucks are a good team. Um, but I'm going to have to agree with Juno in saying that the Brooklyn Nets are my team to come out of the Eastern Conference, man. I can't go against Kevin Durant. Uh, and I have the Lakers in the finals, which is probably Adam Silver's dream finals, because at the end of the day, the NBA, there's a crazy process of getting to the finals, but the finals are always kind of somewhat expected. Um and I will choose the Brooklyn Nets coming on top in that series simply because of their depth. Even though the Lakers got better with their with their depth, to be fair, I just think the Nets have the deepest bench in the league, even with Spencer Dinwiddie going out with a torn ACL. Uh, I'll have the, the Nets winning. And, okay, I'll say this. 
and I'm not sure if this is a hot take. I don't think I think this is a lukewarm take because the Western Conference is so deep. I won't be shocked if the Lakers don't come out of the West. I won't be shocked because if you've seen the Western Conference right now, you have 13 now because the Grizzlies lost Jaw and Jaren. So I'll say 13 teams that think they're going to be relatively competitive this season. And you have top-tier t- teams. I know the Clippers lost 3-1 the second round. Doesn't matter. They're still a top-tier team in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets proved that they're a top-tier team in the Western Conference. The Rockets have gotten worse, but James Harden still makes that team still kind of good. You know, they have the Utah Jazz, who are only going to get better with time. You have the Phoenix Suns, who have improved with the acquisition of Chris Paul. You have the Minnesota Timberwolves, the, the, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Portland Trailblazers, who are always there with Damian Lillard. This conference is as deep as we've seen it, and I think in a decade. And I won't be shocked if there is an upset, because if the Lakers lose, it would be an upset. But I won't be shocked if there is an upset in the conference finals or even second round if, if they somehow get defeated. But I do still have them going to the finals because the NBA always ends up into this like expected uh, position. But I do have them losing, uh, not going back-to-back. And I think KD and Kyrie will actually lift Larry O'Brien show for the season. Honestly, no one's beating the Lakers this year. I'm just going to say it right here, right now. They're running the back. They might be Peter, but for this season, they're running the back. They're slapping the Nets in six. I'm going to say it right now. They're slapping the Nets. Okay, maybe not in six games, but I do think if they face off with the Nets in the finals, they're going to win. That's just my opinion. I don't think LeBron and AD are going to give up to Kyrie and KD, especially since they have – I know Kyrie and KD are friends, and but this is their first – their first other than the USA team, this is like their first actual time in this, on the same team and playing together. The Lakers are basically building up for him. If the Lakers didn't win the chip last year, then maybe, you know, but the Lakers are basically building up for what they had last season. It's not – they got some new guys and all that, but their core guys, are LeBron and AD, are still the same, and they got – better they got two six men of the year they got the reigning six man of the year and another six man of the year candidate last year and Dennis Schroeder and now they have Trez like I know like Trez wasn't good in the playoffs last year I'm not saying he's gonna be great or anything but I think they're gonna beat the the Nets if they face off in the finals I just feel like the Lakers are beating anybody this season you know and that's a completely fair take that's a that's a completely fair take I I won't I won't like bash on you for saying that but I'll just say that if the Lakers do end up losing don't find me shocked. Don't find me surprised. Okay, I'll just say that. But I do expect them to win because they are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But uh, if they do end up losing, I won't. I won't be surprised. Uh, but I mentioned dark horse teams to win the, the, the win the conference in the in the West. Uh, but who do you think are the dark horse teams for you guys to win the conference in the East and West? In the West, honestly, I'm not sure, but. The Clippers aren't a dark horse team. I think they could maybe beat the Lakers, but you know the Suns have Chris Paul now, and I think Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden might they might shock people, you know, because Devin Booker is that guy. Like he hasn't like gone far yet, but like whatever chance he gets to show up, he does show up. He's that guy. Now he has a vet, a multiple time All Star play, uh, point guard in Chris Paul, and he's playing with DeAndre Aiden, who's actually a Good big man. I think he's going to be dominant this season. So I think they could upset the Lakers. In my opinion, the Rockets have gotten better, honestly. The, since the start of the actual season, not preseason, they've missed like a couple of their key rotation guys. Like Wall. I know Wall and Boogie are new. And uh, Eric Gordon and some of the other guys, you know. But I think Christian Wood and Harden together actually looked really good. And if you pair that up with, I'm not saying it's going to be like that. 
moving forward. But if Harden does decide to stay and they try to play with John Wall, Harden, Buggy's healthy, Christian, all those guys are healthy, I think they could be a scary team. And maybe, you know, a player gets injured in the, in the playoffs and then they knock somebody out, you know. Also, the Nuggets, I forgot. The Nuggets aren't really a dark horse team, but if Michael Porter Jr., like, he's progressing right now. He's, he's, his game's getting better. And he really pops this season. And Jamal Murray shows us the, what he showed us in the bubble last year. And Jokic is Jokic. So, you know, those guys might knock off the Lakers in, in the conference finals. Like, it's not impossible. Yeah, that's, that, that's a fair take. The, the Suns are good as well. Uh, my team is the Nuggets. They're not, like, the closest to a darker team, but they are as close as to anybody in the in the Western Conference, to the Clippers or Lakers, as anybody. And that's why they're my dark horse team to come out the Western Conference this season. Uh, I think Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are only going to get better with time. And the fact that Michael Porter Jr. is going to progress as well, and they're getting Will Barton back from injury, this team is only going to get better and better and better and only improve. I said it before, if there's anybody in the Western Conference that is going to beat the Lakers or Clippers... Uh, I'll choose the Denver Nuggets, even though they're not as a dark horse team as people would put it. But I have the Denver Nuggets. I forgot about the Blazers. My bad. Shout out SA, the Blazers. You know, Dame, Dame is that guy. So he might just pop and you see the Blazers knocking teams off in the playoff, you know. So the Blazers might be, the, the Blazers are a dark horse team because you're not expecting them to make the conference finals this season, but they might. Jira, what do you, what do you think? Who's your, uh, who's your dark horse team to come out the West? I actually have no idea. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Really, all my all my interest, like basically of all my you know like my basketball interest, like lately for the last couple of months, was strictly all on the Nets, right? It's just like it's not just the team that I was intrigued about. It was just like you know like the what's like this like the scene they set out. You know what I mean? Like even the jerseys, you know how the team is like placed, how the team, you know, like how all the players were you know like going through their own you know like tribulations throughout like prior to like this season. So it's just the, the the sense in like in general for the like that surrounds the Nets that kind of draw drew me in. So in my opinion, I'm just like strictly with the Nets right now. Like, obviously, there is the Raptors because you know we are from Toronto, but uh, honestly, with the Raptors, they have a lot going for them. Like they got what Malachi Davis, which in my opinion, I believe he's like a athletic version of Fred VanVleet. Honestly speaking, um, so I guess I do believe the Raptors can go far, like you know, like last year, but. In sense of dark horse, maybe I could say the Raptors, maybe, if that makes sense. Uh, all right, so we might as well move to the Eastern Conference anyways, because he did mention the Raptors. My dark horse team to come out of the Eastern Conference is the Toronto Raptors. I know they haven't had the best start to start the season, 0-3. I, I've realized that. However, you have to realize that there are still many players on this team that won the championship a few years ago. They got Fred Van Vliet. They still have Kyle Lowry. They still have Pascal Siakam. You know, they still have three of the main central core uh, of when they won the championship. I know they lost Serge. I know they lost Marcus Hall. I know they lost Kawhi. But they still have the foundation of a, of a strong competitive team. Last season, they finished second in the, the entire league in the record. The only subtractions from that roster are Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol. And I think people are overstating the loss of those two players. I know Serge Ibaka is amazing. Top 100 player in the NBA by far, easily. He's a great player. Aaron Baines is a replacement for Serge Ibaka. He's not going to be as good, but he's replacement level, and he can still replace that type of impact that Ibaka was having. He's a strong screen setter. You know, he can run the pick and roll really well. He can shoot from three. You know, he, he and Ibaka are 
play very, very similarly. They have Chris Boucher, who they can give more minutes. The loss of Gasol is going to give more minutes to the guys on their bench. Matt Thomas, maybe. You see the, the play of Matt Thomas last season during the bubble. When he was playing, every minute was effective, defensively and offensively. He's rather creating a scoring chance, or he was stopping the scoring chance on his own end. This team, I know they they are having the aren't having the best start. They, they they are having some sloppy defense. But Nick Nurse, brain coach of the year. If there's anybody that's going to solve it, I think it's going to be him. He's, in my opinion, a genius in terms of uh, NBA uh, basketball and has really revolutionized the way that some teams are playing. Actually, in this in this league, you know, he did introduce the boxing one into the NBA, which was like never really seen before. Even though it's like an NCAA strat, you know, he's introducing strategic strategies that haven't been seen in the NBA, haven't been employed by teams in the NBA, and, and he's using them quite well. So if there's anybody that's going to fix them, it's going to be Nick Nurse. Uh, and, and they do have the depth. They did add Malachi Flynn, like Juno, Juno added. They do have Terrence Davis, although we know the situations surrounding him are kind of unfortunate at the moment. Uh, but they do still have him on the roster. They they have guys that can bring in effective minutes. They're, they're, and I think people are overstating the loss of Serge Ibaka. The people are saying that this team that was second in the league last year is going to fall off and just not make the playoffs. That to me is insane. They they are still relatively competitive. I don't think the the East has gotten better. Yes, I think the Nets are better than them. I think the Bucks are better than them. I think the Heat and the Celtics are arguably better than them. Uh, I don't. I think they're better than the 76ers, even with their loss yesterday. I still think the Raptors are a better team. Uh, and I, the Heat and Celtics are just kind of a debate there. I still do think they're a top five team in the in the Eastern Conference. And if there's going to be a team to upset the Bucks or the Nets, uh, or even the Heat, I mean, you got to give respect to the Heat. They made the finals last year. I'm going to choose the Raptors. Uh, I, I know that you can probably say that's biased, but to me, they are an extremely deep team who has who have a great coach and have uh, the foundation of a championship winning team in the past. So I'm going to go with the Raptors for my dark horse team to win the Eastern Conference. My dark horse team is uh, Miami. I know that we're expecting them to be good this season, all of that, but I don't think they might not be top four. Maybe they might crack, maybe might crack, might be the fourth seed, but they're still going to be a top six seed. And I think people are going to underestimate them again because now we have like the Celtics are already good. The Bucks are better. The Nets are better than they were last year. So I think people are going to underestimate them again. But I think the Miami Heat can still go to the finals again. They play the way they did last year, you know, play solid defense, great offense and all of that. But also, you're underestimating the 76ers, bro. Like, I'll be honest with you right now. In the playoffs, 70s, I think 76ers are going to be top four seed this year. That's why I said Miami might not be a top four seed. I think they're a top three, top four seed this year. And I think they could go to the finals. Like, we know the, the last year, uh, when the when the season started, the odds for the 76ers to make the finals were so high. I know it might not be like that this year, but I do think the 76ers are a really, really good team, and they could make the finals. Like, they're not a dark horse team, but you're underestimating them right now. And, yeah, the Raptors are good, so it's true. The 76ers are a solid team. I am underestimating them, sure. But I just don't think that a lot of that will translate into playoff success. I mean, they do have Embiid. They do have Ben Simmons. They did add Seth Curry. Danny Green, is he going to fix your shooting problems? Have you seen him shoot in the past two seasons? I, I don't think he's going to be the, the solution. Seth Curry might help, but you lost Josh Richardson. And he didn't really help that much either. So like, the team... They're, they're replacing Seth Curry with uh, they're replacing Josh Richardson with Seth Curry, and they're adding Danny Green, who hasn't been shooting well. I don't think they're going to solve their issues with shooting at all. 
I mean, Dwight Howard, is he going to solve your shooting problems? He can't, he can't shoot a, a basketball if his life depended on it. You know what I mean? Like, the, this team, they are good on paper. They have Joel Embiid. They have Ben Simmons. But do they have the surrounding shooters that can help them? Shake Milton might help. Yeah, sure. But, like, overall, this team, man, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to find out a plan to, like, solve their problems. And and I don't think Doc Rivers is as good as a coach as people make him out to be either. So, you know, I think he's still riding that 2008 Celtics win to his – and that's the reason he's kind of employed today. If he didn't win a championship, should Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers have a job? No. <laughs> I'll be completely real when I say that. Dark Rivers, if he didn't win that 2008 championship with the Boston Celtics, he wouldn't be employed into today's NBA. And I don't think that's a hot take. He's not a good coach. Don't say it about Dwight, though. Like, he was teaching Ben Simmons how to shoot before the pregame the other day. Like, and he was making the shots. Dwight's a good shooter, bro. Don't trip. He's a good shooter from deep. Yeah, but is he gonna is he gonna be a shooter in your offense? Is he is he gonna be the guy to do a pick and pop like Serge Ibaka does with the that we did with the Raptors last year? That he can do run a pick and pop with Ben Simmons, kick out to the three, and, and actually make the shot. He can shoot in pregame, but, but yeah, I don't think that's gonna translate to on court success. Bro, so. I was joking about that, but he's just a rotational guy for them. There's nothing more, bro. Come give us a good 15, 20 minutes a game for, off the bench, and that's it. Play some defense. So, honestly, other than the shooting, I think uh, Ben and Joel and B have, you know, we both know they have chemistry problems. They both get all their points in the paint. And it might not be a recipe for success, but if they could figure it out, like, I think before the start of the season, Ben said him and Joel moved in together, like, a couple, because they're trying to create a closer bond, you know. Hopefully that translates to the basketball court. But if they could develop some kind of strong chemistry, they could be a good team, bro. Like, they could be, they could go to the finals, but you make some solid points without the shooting and stuff. Seth is a good, it's going to be good for them, but he's not going to make the team like amazing. Like, I get your point, but you're underestimating them, bro. I, I just, I just don't see a team that had a lot. I see a team that had a lot of problems and then didn't fix it in the offseason. They lost Josh Richardson and they replaced Seth, replaced him with Seth Curry. They said, we need shooting. We're going to add Danny Green, who, I mean, we can talk about how bad Danny Green is at shooting for, like, 30 minutes. I just don't see a team that addressed their issues during the offseason. I could be underestimating them. I mean, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are two all-star caliber players. But I just don't see a team that has the potential to actually make it out the East, honestly. But if we're talking about – we were talking about playoffs and winning the conference. Let's talk about teams that might surprise people in making the playoffs in the first place. Um, we can start off with the East because we just left off on the Eastern Conference. Who do you think, Samuel Juno, whoever wants to take it off, uh, who do you think is going to be a team that surprises some people and actually gets into a play-in or a playoff spot? The Wizards and the and the Hawks. Like, I know people want – I think the Hawks are going to make the playoffs this year. But I, I, I remember the other day that I was telling Elias and some of the other guys that I think that the Wizards are going to be the top four seed in the East. I know it's – I know it's a hot take, but I was telling Elias that. And I know they're playing bad right now. They're 0 for 4 or something like that. But I think if they could get their stuff together, they could be a top four. I know I'm overestimating them, but I think they could be a top four uh, team in the East. And I think this year the Hawks are going to shock a lot of people. Like, Trae Young is going to pop. And they got some good pieces around them, some good players around them. Now, so I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to play their way into, like, a seventh seed. And, you know, Charlotte could be they – they might find those, themselves in a, in a playing play, play spot. 
Charlotte Hornets, but that's just it. How about you, Elias? Uh, I uh, I don't. I said during the preseason to Samuel personally. I told you that Charlotte w- could make the the plans. I still think that they could be there, uh, but after further examination, I think they're just going to be wildly inconsistent. I think the Charlotte Hornets are going to go as Lamelo Ball goes, and Lamelo Ball to me is going to prove to be wildly inconsistent as we've already seen in this season. I mean, first game, he dropped zero points. Third game, he's, like, dropping, like, 20 points, nine assists, 11. Like, he's like he's almost getting a triple-double. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he has a lot of potential, but he's going to be inconsistent. I still do think that Charlotte could probably get that 10th for that uh, seed for that play-in. But a team that I don't think – a team that I think people are underestimating or a lot of people think are not as good as they are is the Chicago freaking – Bulls. The Bulls are trash, bro. <laughs> the Bulls, okay. The Bulls, you might think the Bulls are trash, right? But I look at the Bulls on paper. I see a starting point guard of Kobe White. I see a starting shoot gu- shooting guard in uh, Zach Levine. I see a small forward in uh, Wendell Carter or Laurie Markkinen. They kind of run two power forwards, actually. And then I see a uh, Oh, no, I see small forward in Patrick Williams, yeah. a power forward in uh, Laurie Markkinen, and a center in w- uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And then they have a sixth man in Otto Porter. Yeah, on paper, they're, they look like a good team, and I think that they might be a streaky, streaky team here. I think they might actually surprise a lot of teams, get a couple wins under their belt, and I think that the bottom of the East is not as deep as the bottom of the West is. And I, that's where I think that Chicago might come in and surprise a lot of uh, people. And they might actually, you know, maybe get into the playoffs when they're playing series. The, the bottom of the East is not that good. Like, uh, I think the top seven of the East is good. But eighth, ninth, tenth, and so forth, in my opinion, is not not good at all. And that's where I see the Chicago Bulls actually succeeding. The Bulls look good on paper. Like, they look they could, like they could be an eight seed, but... When you watch them play, I don't see that cohesiveness between them. And plus, they're not good on defense, bro. They're not good on defense. Like, the Wizards are suffering from the same thing. They're not good on defense. They could score sometimes. And if Zach Levine pops, I mean, maybe they could play their way into a playing spot. But I don't think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be bottom of the battle. Like, I'm talking about 14th seed. But I think Cleveland could shock some people. Maybe get a playing spot. You know, Sexland, they're looking good right now, so. You, know, you make fair points about Chicago. They're not the best team uh, right now. Uh, they're not playing that well. They don't have a lot of chemistry. But I'll say this, man. I think they're going to be very, very streaky. I think they're going to be a team that is, like Charlotte, wildly inconsistent. But I, what I think about Chicago more than I think about Charlotte is that I think their their streaks of wins will be larger than Charlotte's streaks of wins. Which is why I have Chicago rated highly in my mind. Um, man, I I've been high on Chicago. I was high on Chicago last season. Uh, I think that I thought they were gonna compete for a nine ten spot. I know it, it didn't pan out as well, but I think the addition of Patrick Williams is gonna help them a lot. They were they were lacking that so like shooting from a small forward position, the scoring from a small forward position. I don't think Otto Porter was really providing that for them, uh, and he really does fit better in a six man role. At that they are putting him in right now. And Laurie Markinen, he is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the league. He is really good. He can drop you a double-double almost every night, 20 points, 10 rebounds. He can be a future all-star player uh, for them. Uh, I, I just, I'm just really high on Chicago, man. I think I think they can finally you know, improve, get to that spot where 
Zach Levine is an all-star for them and they can actually get that 9-10 spot and actually surprise the team that are in the plan. But Juno, what do you what do, what do you think? Hawks. Hawks. 100%. 100%. The Hawks. Juno speaking of facts right now. In my opinion, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to lie, man. I'm not going to lie. Forget all the stats, right? Just just looking at a lot of like Trey Young, for example, his his offseason work, yo, this this guy, this guy is crazy. I'm gonna let you know right now. This guy is actually crazy. And I, I, I honestly think the Hawks are stuck. Now, okay, but will they go all the way? I don't think so. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think so. But slept on, yeah, hundred percent. The Hawks, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I agree with you in saying that the Hawks are a good team. I do think they'll be playing for a play-in slash playoff spot this season as well. I, I am not on, as high as on the Hawks as other people are. I do think the Hawks, because a lot of people are saying that the Hawks are going to finish top five above the Raptors, above above the Heat or something like that. But but like I don't think they're going to be as good as other people are putting it. They they will bat- battling for like an eighth nine spot in my mind, and that's where I see them possibly facing Chicago. And honestly, that that series is a lot closer than people put it. But um, there's, the Hawks are good. They're really good. They have improved dramatically. They are not that. 14th, 15th seed that they were last year, but I don't think I think people are overestimating them, and uh, people are really overhyping them this season. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie though. I'm not gonna lie. I actually had a lot of anticipation going into the season for the Charlotte's, you know, but like I, I was kind of let down. I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of let down, right? I expected Lamel to play way better, but yeah, he is talented. Like he's got all the physical attributes. He's he's like what a six eight six nine whatever. What is he? Right? He can handle the ball. He can shoot the ball, right? His good inside finishing game. But it's like, I, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. I'm pretty disappointed. This is not how I thought they would be doing. The Hawks on paper look good. They look really, really good on paper. But I get what Elias is saying. That might not translate into like on, on court stuff. But I think the Hawks are going to be better than an AT. And if we don't pick the slack up early, early enough, the Raptors, we might find ourselves below the Hawks on the standings, you know? I think they're going to be good. Trae Young's a really, really good player. And now they've given him some nice pieces around him. And they have, they have a top... They have a lottery pick this year, too, so... And he hasn't played, so we don't know. I think the Hawks are going to be good. I do think the Hawks are going to be good as well. But I do think, at the end of the day, people are overhyping them. And I think people are underestimating the Raptors. Uh, that's that's my that's my opinion. Uh, but let's shift from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference. Um, I'll start off and saying that my sleeper team to make the the, 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 play, the playoffs or play-ins in the West is the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, I'm, I, like, I like their team, man. Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. They got the first overall pick in Anthony Edwards. They have Jared Culver as their depth depth guy. You know they 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 re uh they they got Ricky Rubio back in their on their team. Uh, to me, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are are a team that will be battling in the West for that tenth ninth spot and could upset a team that is in the eighth uh, or seventh spot in the play-ins and actually squeeze into the playoffs. Do I think they're going to win a playoff series? No, uh, because at the end of the day, they're they're most realistically playing against the the top tier of the West, which I think is dominant uh, in the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. Uh, but I do think that they will be battling for the playoffs. I think a lot of people with the with the improvement of Phoenix, with the improvement of, uh, you can say, Portland, uh, New Orleans, even San Antonio, you can't even forget that. In my opinion, the improvement in Sacramento as well. I think that people are forgetting that Minnesota has improved a lot. 
especially because now they have a full season of Cat and D'Lo. Now you add that with the first overall pick. You get Ricky Rubio back as your backup point guard. That team, to me, is a team that will be battling for that 8th and ninth spot. And I think that a lot of people are forgetting them, and they're kind of getting lost in the mix uh, in, in the Western Conference right now. Honestly, I think Sacramento, the Wolves, and Golden State are going to shock people. I know the I know uh, Golden State hasn't been good so far, but I think they're going to pick up the snack a little bit and probably pay their way to a playing game. Maybe even the like a six seed, maybe not the six seed. I'm overestimating them, but probably a playing game or the eight seed. And then Sacramento's looking really good right now. And if they could continue that way, they can be a playoff team. Also, Minnesota. I actually think Minnesota has a higher chance of making the playoffs than maybe Golden State, Sacramento right now. Because if I'm not sure, I haven't seen Cat play this season, but Cat, D'Lo, and Anthony Edwards, and then the guys they have around them, Rico Rubio playing off the bench for them and stuff like that. I think they could be a really, really solid team. You know, Cat's one of the best centers in the league, one of the best shooting centers, shooting bigs of all time. So, and Anthony Edwards is looking really good, like really good. So, and D'Lo's that guy sometimes, you know? So, who knows? Hey, facts. Like, D'Lo is a guy that has led his team to the playoffs as a star player before, two seasons ago with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, he's been a former all-star point guard. You know, he is that guy, and you add that guy with another star player, uh, superstar talent in Carl Anthony Towns. You have a great first overall pick who has shown crazy amounts of potential with Anthony Edwards, and you you get Ricky Rubio back in your lineup. You have Jared Culver, who has the potential. Is that potential going to develop into something? I, I don't know, but you have the foundation of a great team for the future. And I think right now, this is a season where they're going to surprise a little people. But, you know, who do you think is going to be a sleeper team uh, to, to, to make the playoffs in the West? Okay. I'm, uh, yo, come on, man. Yo, New Orleans. Please, please. Yo, Zion. Yo, that guy is a monster. A monster. So I know a lot of people do not agree with me, right? And I do not care. Yo, I'm telling you right now, New Orleans, man. It's, it's New Orleans. I'm telling you. It's like... They're a very, they're, they're a very strong team. Like in my opinion, right? They have a lot of, like they have a lot of potential. They got Lonzo Zion and, and, and like even what, what was it? Didn't didn't he win the um most improved player like Brandon Ingram, right? Last yeah, year? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling you that team, everybody sleeps on it. But I think it may be like, yeah, it's not a great marketable team. I agree with that, right? This and this and this. But if Lonzo starts going back to his old old like old Lonzo before the bubble right when he was draining all the threes if he stays consistent right and Ingram does his thing and just Zion just goes crazy right uh I I, I really believe that they're actually they're gonna shock a lot of people coming in I, I really believe that like what do you think Elias do you agree to with be, me to be fair that, that that's a really solid pick I, I don't I won't lie with you because Zion Williamson is I know as overhyped as he may be he is still a great freaking basketball player I, he is really dominant in the paint. Uh, you do have Lonzo Ball who has fixed his form. You know, you do have Brandon Ingram who can be that star guy if you actually want to get a guy that can score off the dribble uh, and get points from the perimeter. You have Brandon Ingram. You know, you have veteran presence in Steven Adams, J.J. Redick. You know, you have Eric Bledsoe as well as they traded Drew Holiday for him over this past season. You know, they, they have like I said, with Minnesota, a foundation for a great team in the future. And I think that New Orleans, as unmarketable as a as market that they, they, they may be, with Zion, they actually will become marketable for the NBA. And I think they're going to get a lot of attention here. 
I do think that they will be battling for that ninth, eighth, tenth spot, uh, similar to Minnesota and, and uh, San Antonio and Sacramento in that position. Uh, but if they're going to make it, it's kind of questionable. I think, I think there's a lot of teams that are better than them right now. Uh, but they have a lot of potential to get there. But uh, I, I do think that's a that's a solid pick to be fair. You know, I, I think it's a good pick. I do not think Zion is overhyped. I'm telling you right now, this guy is a generational player. When Zion's just taking off, like he never had a he never had a chance to really shine like that. Okay, he never had a chance to shine. Like I I strongly agree. If Zion never if Zion didn't come in halfway through the season, he would have beat Moran for rookie of the year. I I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Right, I I think yo, Zion is not overhyped at all. I just think he's not given the opportunities to really showcase his talent. And I'm telling you right now, just just let Zion catch that wave. Generational player, I'm telling you, generational, generational. I agree with you, you know, honestly. Like people on the internet always talking about, oh, Zion's overhyped and stuff like that. He really isn't, bro. He's the number one pick, and so far he has played like a number one pick. Like he averaged twenty two and seven last season. I think he played twenty something games. And remember his debut? He's that guy, honestly. And I think he's only going to get better. And people said, oh, because he has this huge Nike contract. The media is always talking about him and stuff like that. That He's over- He's not, bro. He's not. Like, look at look at him play. Like, just look at him play. He scores with ease. He's a great player. He knows how to play the game basketball. He's amazing. He's. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in all facets. Juno Samuel, you guys are correct. Zion Williamson... Is that guy? He knows how to he knows how to score a basket if you rely on him. However, I do think at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that are like overestimating him in in some way, in some way. But in in, in a lot of um, facets, he does deserve that attention. To be fair, he drops like 32 points, 14 rebounds in a game. Like he can do that. But the things with New Orleans that bothers me about Zion is that he can go off. But I'm not sure if they will play as well, even with him playing as good as he is. You know what I mean? Honestly, I really thought the I really I really think the Pelicans are a playoff team, like they're an eight seed, and like you said, they have a lot of veteran presence and stuff like that. And Stan Van Gundy's actually he's a good coach, and even JJ Redick said from the first day he got there, he was because he coached JJ when he was in Orlando or something like that. He was trying to make sure that they go into the season playing some serious defense and be defensive minded when they go out there. So you know, I think they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be an eight seed, maybe a playing team. But I think my my pick is like the eight seed, this maybe the seventh. I will say that that it is a solid pick. You know, to be fair, it is a solid pick. But um, you know, this NBA season, like we said, it's shaping up to be a crazy one. Uh, last year, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo took home the MVP rights. You know, he uh. He he won back-to-back. A lot of people don't think it was deserved for him, but he did win it. Who do you guys think is going to take the MVP this season? Oh, number 77. Plays for Dallas. Luka, bro. I think Luka's going to win the MVP this year. But only if they have Porzingis and they're really good. Like, he comes back. He stays healthy. They play their way to, like, a top four seed. Luka goes off. 30, 10, 10. Yeah, he's the MVP. But just... The only condition is that Porzingis is healthy and the Mavs are a top four seed in the West. How about you, Elias? You know, Lucas is a solid pick. I think he should not have been awarded, uh, not awarded, nominated for um, Most Improved Player last season because I think a lot of people knew that he was going to be that good. I don't think it was a shock that he was improving as well as he was. Uh, it was kind of expected for him to do that, actually. My MVP this season is going to be Anthony Davis. 
as boring as of, of a pick that is, he he's been in the conversation for years on years on years and end now. And now with the Los Angeles Lakers, who I think are going to be dominant in the regular season, uh, one of the most dominant teams in the regular season that we have seen in, in the, one of the past decades, I think that Anthony Davis will deserve that uh, MVP role here. Um, you know, you can obviously put LeBron in there as well, but I think that with Anthony Davis now shifting to the primary score for them, uh, and LeBron James being the facilitator for that roster, that's where I think Anthony Davis will step up, get that 30 points per game uh, status, and still get like an average of double-double in the meanwhile. That's why I think that Anthony Davis will be the MVP this season. Yeah, you're right, because LeBron already said it. This is AD's team now. And at least for the regular season, like, I'm guessing that's what he means. Like They're going to follow, even in the playoffs, they're going to follow AD's lead and stuff like that. And he's going to get his time to shine in 30 and 10. I actually have AD as my pick for defensive player of the year. Not MVP. I think he's going to be like top three MVP voting, but I have him as my pick for defensive player of the year. Like the same way he's been in like the conversation for MVP a couple seasons now, he's been in the conversation for defensive player of the year, and I have 80 win defensive player of the year this year. I don't think Giannis is going to win anything. I think he's still going to play great and everything. I don't think Giannis is going to win anything again until he pulls himself in the playoffs. Yeah, AD winning defensive player of the year is a great pick as well. Um, you know, he, he is that guy that can guard anybody one through five. So, you know, yeah, that's why I have him as my MVP as well, because he can go out, get you a basket from anywhere on the court on the offensive end. Then he goes back to the defensive end and he can guard anybody on the court. And to me, he provides that impact every time he's on on the court. Every minute is effective for him. And, and it's effective in a way where it's superstar caliber effective. And that's why I have him listed as my MVP right now. Juno, do you have a, a guy for your MVP right now? It's hard to say, right? Because everyone's doing their thing, right? And we, we, I don't really know how it's gonna play out. But like, there's like, like, there's so many like superstars in the league. To be honest, right now, I really just, I really can't choose one. Honestly speaking, I really just can't. Yeah, you know, this season is stacked. You know, you have KD coming back from injury, who could potentially be um, in that MVP role. You know, I would have put KD as my MVP. I originally had him listed as my MVP as well, but I think that the Brooklyn Nets are. They're going to treat him similar as how the Raptors treated Kawhi and not give him uh, play him in as much games for him to actually be deserving of that uh, of that title. But I think that if Kevin Durant does play seventy two games or does play like a majority of the games this season, that he might actually be the MVP. Uh, he was my original pick, but for other circumstances, I didn't pick him. But yeah, you have like Juno said, you have so many stars in the league. You know, Jimmy Butler, who had one of the greatest Finals performances we've ever seen in a long time. He can be a pick. And to me, he's a solid pick as well. You have Kawhi Leonard. I know he's injured, but it's Kawhi. You know, you have guys that that are or have won MVP in the past before in James Harden and Giannis. You know, this season is going to be the craziest season we have ever seen in a long time because of the pandemic. Also, because of how many star-studded players there are across the league. And uh, I'm, I have to agree with Juno on saying that there, it is hard to choose. But I will have to go with AD, and I and I do agree with Samuel with going with Luca as well. That's that's a great pick. Actually, I had KD as my pick for MVP too, but like you said, I'm not sure if he's going to play that many games because if he does play a lot of games, I think like the media they they have most of the votes. They're going to be inclined to vote for him because coming off the injury and everything, and still playing the way he does, I think they'll be inclined to vote for him if he plays enough games and the Nets are high enough in the standings and stuff like that. But yeah, would you have as your pick for defensive player of the year, guys? Oh, um, my defensive player of the year. To me, choosing Anthony Davis is boring. Uh, as as great as he is offensively and defensively, uh, 
I have him listed as an MVP, and I don't like it when people win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I don't think Gian- Giannis, to me, isn't really like that. He's a great defensive player, but is he Defensive Player of the Year worthy again? I don't think so. Rudy Gobert, not really. I want to choose a guy that can guard a, a perimeter player that can guard anybody on the perimeter and guard the paint as well. Um, and that's why I'll choose... Bam Adebayo. I know that he's not essentially a, a perimeter player in the sense, but if you look at the makeup of, of how he plays, I know he's listed at the center. He he gets a lot of buckets from the from the perimeter. He guards a lot of guys that play in the perimeter. He is their primary defender for for the the Miami Heat, and that's why I really like the way he plays. And he can guard anybody one through five on the perimeter and, and in the zone. He, he's not really. Um, a shot blocker type of guy like Rudy Gobert is, but he he can sh- block your shots. Uh, he can you know force you to uh, uh, you know pass the ball or force you into the corner and trap you. I think he really fits well into the system that Eric Spolster employs, uh, and that's where I think that he will thrive in. Uh, and that's why I have Ben Adebayo listed there. You know he uh, to me defense. It's not about blocking shots or or or, or getting steals. You know it's about ensuring that your your guy is like uh not able to score and locking him down. Um I think Drew Holiday is also a solid pick for defensive player of the year. Uh he was my second guy that I had listed. Drew Holiday to me is the best defensive guard in the league. Uh and him playing on the Milwaukee Bucks, we saw Eric Bledsoe thrive in the way that the, the Bucks employ their defense. That's where Drew Holiday will thrive as well. If we want here, we can talk about the most improved player real quick. Uh, Sam, who do you have as your most improved player right now? Honestly, I agree with you about Bam and everything because Bam's that guy on the defensive end. Even if he's not blocking as much shots as Gobert is, he's altering shots and he's locking down one to five positions because he's that guy. He's that mobile on the offensive and defensive end. Uh, For my most improved player of the year, I have Marco Fultz. Who do you have? Ooh, Markel Fultz. I actually really, – no, no, I really like that. I, I I didn't think of it, but I really like that. I know he was a number one pick, but he hasn't really – Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, he hasn't lived up to the potential. And I think he's, this is his fourth or fifth season, but I think this season he's looking really good. And Matt, the Magic are looking really good. They were a playoff team last year. I think they're still a playoff team. He's looking better. He's getting more assists, more buckets. He's looking super good out there. So I think – his his assist totals go up. His scoring his his score his, uh, his point per game totals go up. Everything. The hopefully the the Magic are high seed than they were last year, and he could win it. You know, he's looking amazing so far. I actually really like that pick. I didn't think of that actually, but Marco Fultz is a really really amazing pick there. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with my guy, man, the man, the myth, the legend. You know, if you know me. You know that this guy is my favorite player in the NBA right now. He wears number three. He plays for my team. He is the GOAT. OG and no B. How can you not go with the guy? The man, the myth, the legend, man. He if he he's gonna get more touches right now, he's gonna be used a lot in a lot of situations for the Raptors. He's gonna be used as the primary center. Because, uh, with the, especially with the loss of Serge Ibaka. We saw last season when they played against Boston. OJ Anobi, he was used as a primary center. He was guarding guys like Daniel Tease. He was guarding guys like uh, Grant Williams, Robert Williams. He was guarding those guys. He was guarding their centers. Um, I know that Boston is not deep on the center position, but OJ Anobi was used as the center for the Toronto Raptors in that series. 
now you subtract the loss of Serge Ibaka, he's a hundred percent going to be using that role this season, and we've already begun to see it. You know, with the they usually run him with a lineup in linking situations of Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, Powell, Ananobi. and and that's where I think he's going to get a lot of touches now. And every time OG Ananobi touches the ball, there's something that's going to happen with it. The problem is he doesn't get the ball enough. Now he he's using the center position more and more often. He is going to get the ball, and he's going to score a lot of baskets. Also, he is improving defensively. You've already seen it in the past. In his rookie season, OG Ananobi was guarding LeBron James in, in the second round. He was guarding LeBron James in a playoff series with the life on the line. When LeBron James was bringing that court up in Game 3, when he scored that buzzer beater, who did he score over? OG Ananobi as a rookie. That's a testament to how good of a defensive player that he is if he's put in that situations as a rookie. Now he's in his fourth year, and he's and he's going to be even better defensively. Come on, man. you got to go with OG Ananobi. As much as I like that Markel Fultz pick, I'm surprised he didn't go with the man, the myth, the legend, the GOAT, OG Ananobi. I went with Markel Foles because he was looking – he's been looking good so far. And I think he's going to keep that out for the rest of the season. But I don't know if he's not a bad pick at all because we expect him to be – to be more of a scoring option this season, you know, like a third option and stuff like that for the and get more points, get more touches and stuff like that, and also get better on the defensive end. So that's not a bad pick at all. He might win it too. I wouldn't be shocked. Siakam was the most improved player of the year. So our track record for that is looking, you know, we're good at player development the Raptors, so. Exactly, exactly. That's why I have Odin Ananobi there as well, because uh, the development system of the Raptors, they use it very similar to how the NHL uses it and how I think a lot of NBA teams don't use it actually and should actually look into using it. It's using their G League as a develop- developmental program, not instead of using the G League as a way to throw your trash players away, use it as a way to get actually improve your players. If you look at the Toronto Raptors roster right now, Fred Van Vliet, he played in the G League. Pascal Siakam played in the G League. Norman Powell, Played in the G League, Chris Boucher played in the G League. And I know, I know that Ananobi didn't. Uh, but you, you have like guys on that roster who have played in the G League, have experience in there. Siakam Van Vliet won a championship. Boucher won G League MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. You know they use that program as a way to develop their young players into getting into the NBA. Instead of a, using that as a way to throw your trash players away, if you, if you use that as a developmental program, it would be very beneficial to your organization. That's how the NHL teams use it. They use the AHL, which is equivalent to the G League, as a developmental program. They're young players. They play there. They don't throw away their trash players. Yeah, the trash, some trash players play there, but like only because they're bad. But the, most of the minutes go to the people who are young and actually have promise and potential of making it into the pro leagues. You know what I mean? So that's why I think... Uh, the Raptors are really good at developmental uh, process. And that's why the Raptors 905, as we've seen in the past, they, they've always been a contending team because the Raptors send their young players there. They send the, the players that actually have promise and potential uh, there. And we've seen it in the past with Van Vliet, Siakam, Powell. And I think now, I know that Ananobi hasn't been there, but we're going to see with Ananobi and we're going to see his developmental process begin and he's going to shine into a star, man. That guy has all-star potential and I think he's going to prove that this year. Um, but if we want to move over to other sports, I know we got the MLB right now going crazy. San Diego Padres. Judo, you're, you're an avid, avid baseball fan, as we all know. 
The San Diego Padres, man, they're collecting star players like they're Thanos trying to get the Infinity Stones. This is it. This is crazy, man. They got Blake Snell, uh, Yu Darvish. Sorry if I pronounced this wrong, Juno. Is it Hung So Kim from uh, Korea or Japan? Yeah, that's from Korea, KBO. So, yeah, uh, he, they got him as well, where a lot of teams were actually pursuing him. They have uh, star players, and San Diego, they were a team that almost made the the MLB NL Finals last year. Uh, and now with the addition of you Darvish and Blake Snell, which to me is, if I'm the Tampa Bay Rays, what are you thinking? First, in Game 6 of the MLB uh, World Series, you pull Blake Snell when he's having the game of his life with your life on the line in the World Series for a championship, you decide to pull him, which is even like which is dumb. And you know, baseball relying on analytics is is uh, beyond any other sport, and I think they're relying on it too much, actually. But uh, it boggles my mind why they treated Blake Snell. I, I can't explain it to you there. But the Rays uh, trading Blake Snell to the Padres. They acquired you Darvish as well. They had Mike Clevenger. They have Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. Dude, do you think the Padres are a World Series contender next season? 100%. Oh, my gosh. Padres, I am not going to lie, shocked me. Like, they shocked me. Yeah, they were an amazing team, but in a span of just a couple of hours, I believe they're, they're most likely going to win because... They don't because the teams that like the players they acquired aren't just you know regular players. They're superstars. You know they're all superstars in their respective fields. And there's a lot of things I want to get off my chest. Okay, let me just quickly go to back to Tampa Bay. There's no way what they did in the World Series was normal. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Somebody paid them to do that. There is no reasonable like, reason in their mind to pull them during the World Series. Like I don't understand. Like Elias, as you know, that that single handedly cost them the, the series, right? Because it doesn't make sense, right? Your 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 starting pitcher, your best pitcher, one of the best pitchers or the best pitcher right now in um, in the MLB is having the game of his life in a very pivotal moment of the game, and you decide to take him out, which which inevitably costed the game. I don't understand why they did that. I'm telling you, there had to be underlying factors, very very serious underlying factors. Like for example, if we look back, that this like if we look back in history, this is this is not a recur- like this is not a like a miracle, right? This this happened before, and it happened with us here in Toronto. Because as you know, when the Blue Jays were going on their insane run, right, they were the top of the league, right, they're the top of the world. They generally were, and after winning uh back to back the World Series, they were all, they were on their way to win their third World Series. But as you know, there's a lot of speculation going on with the coaching and everything, and and it's public knowledge at this point that. Somebody paid um the coach at that time I forgot his name to throw the game right and it's it's not just something that we're speculating it's it's genuine public knowledge right it went it made its way to the grapevine right we all know right all the older people especially like my dad he knows right everyone knows right so it's not a it's not a one time thing right so I really believe that they did it purposely because it does make sense right it does make sense if Tampa Bay were to win the World Series in what way could they have marketed it right they already lost a lot of money do the bubble, you know, COVID-19 and cutting the season, you know, shorter. So if Tampa Bay would have won compared to LA, right, just just looking at that, right, LA and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, some NCAA uh, Division One baseball teams have more fans, such as LSU Ole Miss. They got more fans than an MLB team because what, Tampa Bay is averaging, what, 11,000 as a, as a professional team compared to LA Dodgers, right? One of the biggest marketable teams in the MLB under the Yankees, right? So 
if I was a GM, I would have done the same thing. I'm not going to lie to you, right? I would have, I would have pulled some strings and not let Tampa Bay win. Because I don't even know if they, would have, if they were to have won the World Series, would they even have enough people in the streets for the parade? I'm going to be honest, right? I don't know, right? I don't even know if half the people are going to show up. Because if they have 11,000 fans in the stadium, right? Who is even going to show up to the parade, right? It doesn't make sense. And um, and even if there was a parade, it's not like it could have happened due to COVID, right? So in that aspect, I, I know, I can I can understand why they, why they did that. But damn, at, the, at least at the end of the day, it's not like too many people were disappointed because it's not like Tampa Bay has many fans. No offense in general, right? And I, do, I won't be surprised if Tampa Bay no longer even has their team in a couple of years. So there's that. But going back to the Padres, they have a super team. Um, they they have they have a genuine super team. It's just insane. Like who, they have like veterans. First of all, they got you know Eric Hosmer, right? Which is he already has his own resume set out. We got Will Myers, the former Rookie of the Year. Sure, he's not playing as great as he was before, but he is still a very solid player. They also, I mean, they also got very so- like a Tommy Pham coming off a crazy, like not a crazy, but a very stellar season even in 2019 and 2020 he did hit sure it was only 38 games but he did hit over 300 right and he's a very solid player and aside from that they also got some superstars they got you know as you know Manny Machado Fernando Tatis Jr they got you Darvish now Blake's now it's just they're they're completely packed you know from offense to defense to to rotation that it's just insane right I, I really think these guys actually will go far and I would be genuinely surprised if they don't take the trophy this year I have a question, guys. Are super teams common in the MLB? Like, because Juno just stated their super team now. Crazy, guys. Like, the salaries, how do they match up? Like, do you take less of salaries? Or how does it go, you know? Because in the NBA, you know, everybody wants to get paid and stuff like that. That's why it's not so common for super teams to always happen. But how does it happen, though, in the MLB? Well, salary cap or not? Like, I, in my, I might be wrong, but I don't think MLB has salary cap, right? I don't think they have it. No, no. Yeah, right. No cap, no aside cap. from the salary cap itself, it's not that baseball. Yeah, they do have super teams, but they also don't because, like, if we look at the Yankees, they basically have so much money because they make so much money not just on baseball alone, but also their merchandise and the name itself. Right, the Yankees. We all know who the Yankees is, right? You don't have to play baseball to know who the Yankees are, right? I have a Yankee shirt. I don't exactly, exactly. I have a Yankee. And if you go to New York, you're probably gonna go take a picture at least, right? And yeah, and then so. It's not that there aren't super teams. It's just very difficult to make a super team, right? Because baseball isn't really a sp- isn't like basketball with one player can really take over. It's really a game of chance. Like for example, what we saw with um Washington a couple years back, right? I think it was a couple years back. Nobody expected them to win, right? Because baseball is really a game of miracles. You never know what's going to happen, right? Because it's not like you can just run down the court and just dunk that ball like you're LeBron James, right? It's it's like it's a game of chance, but at the same time, by building a super team, yeah, it's a super team. You have a great amount of players, but a super team at MLB doesn't really guarantee you winning the chip like it does in NBA, right? Because there's so there's so many like variable options that's gonna happen, right? Like injuries, and not just injuries. Like will he throw that ball? And what if a miracle happens and he hits a home run, right? And if there are, for example, three people on base and it's a grand slam, it it could just genuinely just change the entire momentum of a game, right? So there's a lot of like factors that come in in baseball. But yeah, there are super teams like the Padres. They have a super team, basically. Basically, yeah, basically they do have a super team. But at the end of the day, nothing in baseball is really guaranteed, right? Like Ilya's, like, is there anything you want to talk about based on that? 
baseball baseball is one of the more like crazy sports and has one of the most wild outcomes like uh, in a sport that we ever see like besides like even i'm a hockey fan and i would say that baseball is more wild than hockey the way that the sport is played, you never know what's going to happen. A team that you can peg as, like, the bottom team in the league or one of the worst teams in the league can all of a sudden just, like, turn it on in a matter of moments and become, like, a World Series winners. That's just how the, the sport is. It's crazy, and it's, it's wild. It's hard to build a super team, especially if you are not in a great position financially in your as your organization. Like, if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't get a lot of money. They have probably the least, um, I think they have the, the least payroll in the entire league, uh, maybe tied with athletics. But for them to even make the World Series is a big statement in itself because they're getting a lot of players that a lot of people didn't know about. If you look at their offense, like Willie Adamas, you know, they don't have like a star uh, offensive player on their team. And then they have a lot of people that can like fit their system. It's all about the system that they play. So it's hard to build a super team in the MLB because if you're not the Yankees, if you're not the Red Sox, if you're not the Dodgers, you're not making a lot of money. It's just that simple. And the only way you can make a super team in the MLB is if your team is deep. Because if if it's just one guy, what are they going to do? They can, if, especially if it's a hitter. Because they only have one, maybe one appearance every three innings. They can't change that, that game as much as they can. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it all depends on the depth of your of your team, which is hard to do if you're not the Yankees, Red Sox, or Dodgers, because you're not making a lot of money. So, uh, but to bring it back to the Tampa Bay Rays, what were they thinking, man? Like it's dead ass. Like I've I've never just understood months. It's been like what almost three months now, and I still don't understand what the heck was going through Kevin Cash's mind when he pulled Blake Snell in in sixth inning. He's having the best game of his life. When your series is on the line, you're fighting for the World Series, and you want to pull him? I don't care what the analytics say. The analytics, okay, the things with baseball, they rely on analytics way too much. The things with analytics, it can be really, really useful to you, especially to your organization, if you use it correctly. If you use it incorrectly, it can derail everything that you have planned. We saw it in the NHL when teams like the Arizona Coyotes, you know, John Chayka, he's he relies on analytics every two seconds. He tries to employ that for his roster, employ that for the way he drafts players. Their team is not, not doing too well. You can probably say that they're relying on analytics too much. I'm an advocate of analytics. I like them, especially in sports, but only if they're used correctly. I have to use my brain, use my common sense to see that Blake Snell is having the greatest game of his life. He's pitching a masterpiece, and you want to pull him in the sixth inning when your bullpen hasn't been performing that well? Come on, man. Kevin Cash, I, there there had to be something in, in his money, brain. That money. Told him Somebody him, right? paid him. I'm like, telling it you. It doesn't make any sense. There's no way that you can actually say, yeah, I'm pulling Blake Snell right now. It makes a lot of sense for me to do so. In game six of the World Series when they're down 3-2, come on, man. Come on. And then for the race to trade him this season, you're relying on – that's when you say that you're relying on analytics way too much. I don't care if it says that he's going to stop performing right now or if he's going to, like, say, oh – uh, my, it's proven statistically that Blake Snell falls off in the sixth inning. Let him pitch the inning to see it first. Who knows what can happen? It's baseball. It's a sport with wild outcomes. You you are relying on it way too much on a game of chance. Come on. Honestly, you're right because like you, I don't know much about what's going on with the baseball stuff, but you can You have to use the eye test sometimes. You know, you just have to see it for yourself. Like you can't just go based off what the computer projects and stuff like that. It doesn't work like that all the time. You know. Yeah, exactly. As much as advanced stats are available to you, if you're not using it correctly, you are derailing your entire organization. 
And the Tampa Bay Rays done that right now. Look, the way that they were employing their defense throughout the playoffs, unforeseen. Four outfielders? Crazy. I've never seen that before. They used that to perfection. Their bullpen perfection. They were using analytics before perfectly fine. But then to see, you have to, at one point during like during a season, you have to realize that as great as analytics are, they are not the be-all and end-all. You can't use them for everything. And if you do use them for everything, you're going to fall to pieces. And, and pulling Blake Snell in the sixth inning when he's having the game of his life in game six of the World Series when you're down 3-2 literally makes zero sense. So I, I just I don't understand. I don't understand uh, Kevin Cash. I don't understand the Tampa Bay race trading Blake Snell to the San Diego Padres, who, in my opinion, are probably besides the, alongside the Dodgers, are the two best teams in the MLB this season. The Rays, I know the, the, a trade hasn't really worked out badly for them in a long, long time, but this is where I see their team just going, ooh, blowing up, bro. Like I'm being completely honest. Okay, okay, okay. Aside from you know the the conspiracy part of of my brain, right? Which like aside from that, if you look at it, I guess realistically speaking, um, not saying that's not realistic. You know, it is it is conspiracy. You never know, right? But statistically, or like whatever you want to call it, I think you, like that it does make sense on your part because you did say you know they're doing a lot of like this. I get would you call it you know unorthodox maybe ways of playing baseball as you said the four outfielders all this other stuff but i think in their situation they kind of had to right because they were like the underdog of the underdog right they really had nothing going for them right so i feel like they really utilized a lot of unorthodox methods and maybe it got to his the coach's um what well, his name was cash right I, I think i'm not sure because that's what i used to say yeah. Kevin Cash. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Cash. Cash. Maybe, like, he was... Because they made the World Series, right? Like, there's nothing can take that away from them, right? So, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it got to his head a little bit. He's like, okay, I'm a master, right? He's like, he's like I've mastered the art of unorthodox methods of winning baseball games, right? So, maybe he was so, he was so like, you know, overflow with, like, knowledge in his, in his opinion, right? He's like, okay, what I'm doing, a lot of people won't agree with me, but... Maybe in his head he was like, okay, people didn't agree with me from the beginning anyway, right? So maybe I could shock the world, and like just maybe, just maybe he had a had a plan in his mind that was also unorthodox and thought, okay, I'm gonna give this. No, it's like I know this is going to work, but it never worked out, and now we have all these theories and you know, hate and negativity going to him. But maybe that's that's a I think a possible option. Maybe what do you think of this? You think that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'll, I'll say this. If if you are making the World Series with the payroll that you have with the Tampa Bay Rays, you have to use unorthodox methods. And Kevin Cash, as bad as a decision that he made in the World Series, as much as we can ridicule him for doing it, he's a great manager, man. As much as I think that that decision was incorrect and that decision was probably one of the worst baseball decisions, managerial decisions I've ever seen in a long, long, long time, long, long, long time, long time. Um, I, I have to give res- uh, respect where respect is due, man. He, he is a great manager. He knows how to employ his lineup, especially with the talent he has. Because if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, you're not going to be able to afford like crazy amount of mo- spending a lot of money during the offseason and acquiring star players like Mookie Betts or like as we said, you Darvish and and all these like star players, Fernando Tatis, like these star players. If you're the Tampa Bay Rays, you can't afford them. So the fact that you're making the World Series. With this roster and the way that you're using it is a testament to how good of a manager you are. But I think 
like you said, it's a really high, high possibility that he relied on Alex way too much and it got to his head. Pulling Blake Snell in that one moment made zero sense and I'll never understand it for the rest of my life. But like, not only is it like, yeah, you could say it's the worst decision ever. It could be true. Yeah, it probably is. But at the same time, I guess, I guess we can take into consideration that the fact that he was in the World Series where there's a lot of pressure going on, right? So you, we never really know what was really going through his head, the emotions he was feeling. But also, maybe it's like it's kind of not really blown out of proportion, but also kind of is because he was whatever mistake he would have made would have been the biggest mistake and whatever decision he made that was positive would have been his best decision he ever made in his career right because he was at the at the top of the world right he was a, he was on a spotlight on a stage showcase of the world the world series right the top at the pinnacle of of professional baseball so in the, in that in that way i guess whatever decision he made that day would have been the worst and whatever positive decision he would have made that day would have become his best and in that situation, he made the wrong decision, which now will be will will be with him for the rest of his career. So, I think like that's another way to look at it. Maybe to get, kind of give us like a little backstory. Maybe maybe he probably looked at it as how uh, the opposite point of view, whereas Terry Collins looked at it back in I think it was twenty fifteen, if I'm correct. Yeah, twenty fifteen. So Terry Collins, he was the New York Mets manager in the twenty fifteen World Series. Matt Harvey was having the game of his life, eight shutout innings. He he said, okay, you know what, Matt Harvey, I've seen enough. You did a great job today. Great job. I'm pulling you. Let's get our closer in. Let's secure this game. Matt Harvey pleaded. He begged. He said, please, Terry Collins, let me play. We saw the, we saw it in the dugout. He's begging Terry Collins, let me play, let me play, let me play. Terry Collins put him back in there. Listen, he's trusted Matt Harvey. He put him back in there. Matt Harvey blew it. And on that day, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. Maybe Kevin Cash was thinking the exact opposite. What if I leave Blake Snell in and that happens? I remember that happening very... Yeah, that, that's a really good point. That's, that's a very good point. I agree with you on that 100%. As much as I want to say that, at the end of the day, you have to wait until he probably gives up a chance. Look, Matt Harvey, he, went in that, he got pulled in that ninth inning, right? But he went out there. He proved to Terry Collins that Terry Collins was right. I should have pulled him. But... If you let Blake Snell go back on the inning, if he gives up a double or or a, like it puts a couple men on base, that's when you say, you know what, Blake Snell, I've seen enough. Pull him. Because you're still up at that point. You're still up. You still have four innings left. And you still can say, yo, he pulled off. He uh, he, he was like not playing as well. He, his pitches were dropping off. His velocity was dropping down. So it makes sense for me to pull him. That is completely understandable. But the fact that you pulled him without even seeing it in the first place... That does not make any sense. The, the the Matt Harvey situation, as I want to put it out there, I can understand maybe somewhat of Kevin Cash's perspective, but not really. But the Matt Harvey situation where it's different is that he pitched eight innings. Imagine if Terry Collins pulled Matt Harvey in the sixth inning. He still would have got blasted. You leave Blake Snell in there for at least an inning or half an inning, a third of an inning. You know, you put him in there. And see what happens. If it turns out to be a bad performance from him, then you pull him. It makes 100% sense. But to pull him in right there at the beginning of the sixth inning without even seeing him in the first place? Stupid. Plain and simple. Stupid. But, uh, Juno, what do you think about the Blue Jays this season? A lot of uh, a lot of their offseason was surrounding about the acquisition of pitchers. Um, they needed a lot of depth pitchers to support. Uh, maybe like Nate Pearson, who was effective in his playoff outing. Do you think that 
the loss of not getting maybe you Darvish or Blake Snell, or do you think they could get maybe a, a Trevor Bauer? Who do you think should be on the mind of uh, the Blue Jays right now, uh, acquisition wise? Okay, in my opinion, I just want to put out there: uh, Blue Jays have a very, very, very um addiction of pitchers. Like as like it's it's really bad, right? They're like obsessed with pitchers. I just want to put that out there at first, but. There's really not much I can really say on that part, right? Because it's sad to say, but it's true. Blue Jays are in like extreme rebuilding mode right now, right? We are not even close, in my opinion, to even being contended for the World Series. But as you know, we never know what's going to happen. But they do, have, in my opinion, have a very solid team. They have a very, very solid, like, lot of young potential, right? And we got Rehunjin leading it. But in terms of who should we who we should acquire, this is probably the only time I do agree with the Blue Jays. We do need pitchers. Yeah, we do have a lot of great pitchers, like as you said, you know, Nate Pearson. Um, but he's in my opinion still very inconsistent. Yeah, he does throw hard, but in the game of baseball, throwing hard isn't everything, right? I do think he'll develop to a very great player. I I, I really believe that. But I think he does need time. So in my opinion is I say we have a lot of young position players, right, that will easily, easily blossom to like all stars. Honestly, they'll be superstars, right? We got Bichette. Um, Guerrero, uh, Junior. We even got Fernando, right? I really believe these guys are gonna are gonna just explode in a couple of years. Also, what uh, Bigio Junior as well. But I think what we need the most, honestly speaking, right, is a stronger pitching rotation. But not only a stronger pitching rotation, but veteran presence. Like because we saw it during the what 2015 run, right? The veteran presence, what what it did for the team, right? It really like. It, it it's like it lit a fire amongst the like the the younger players, right? You got Ryan Goins going crazy. We even had what uh, Dalton Pompey, right? That 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 all that happened, right? And I really believe it was due to veteran presence. Like right now, we we have a lot of talent, and it's it like like I really believe we have like one of I, I, in my opinion one of the craziest talent in a in a team in the entire MLB. Honestly speaking, right? We're incubating a lot of talent, but. What I think we need the most is genuine veteran presence. Like I see, we got a couple veterans that can. You know, no offense to Rion Jin, he's an amazing player, but someone that can speak English, like or or Spanish, right? Someone that can speak the mother tongue of a lot of players, and we know that's a, we know that's a that's very pivotal. Like just look at the look at our coach, right? He was able to lead Blue Jays to a very 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 great season like last year, like a really 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 stellar season. Like no one would have predicted that to happen, and I think him speaking Spanish to a lot of the a lot of the like. Our top players, which are Spanish, I think that had a very like important role. So I do think we need veterans, right? It, they don't have to be amazing. I just say mid tier level, right? Pitchers and position players, just to you know influence, like to really teach, like guide those guys into becoming you know like superstars. So that's what I think. I don't really think at this point in the stage of, of, of you know rebuilding, I don't think we need superstars. I just think we need veterans, presence to just to build these young like young players up. Until we're at that point where, because Blue just have an like insane amount of money saved up right now, right? Because the amount of money they're saving is just it's just crazy, right? So we have the money to to get superstars, but right now I don't think it's the time. In my opinion, I say we get a couple of veteran players in here and there, right? Really incubate our talent, and then once we're ready, bring in those superstars. You know, spend all that money we saved up, bring in those superstars that really gun for that World Series, right? That's just what I think. What do you think? That's a really strong opinion, and I actually agree with you. I think them getting out pitchers is smart, but they need that veteran presence. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he as great as a player he is, he's young. Bo Bichette, as great as a player he is, he's young. Kevin Biggio, as great as a player he is, he is also young. So the fact that their core right now is extremely, extremely inexperienced in terms of playoff success or 
actually getting any type of experience. That's where I think the Blue Jays are lacking. And getting a guy, which is speculated, like George Springer, who has had that success. He's won a World Series. Although we know with the circumstances surrounding that is kind of questionable to this day, George Springer is still one of the better outfielders in today's game. You have them uh, possibly trying to get Francisco Lindor, uh, which would probably include a package surrounding Lourdes Gurriel Jr., which if I am Ross Atkins and the Cleveland Indians won Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for Francisco Lindor, heartbeat. I'm doing that trade as, as soon as I can. You know why? Lindor and Gurriel Jr. are the same age, and Lindor has been to the World Series. Gurriel has only had one playoff appearance, and that was with the Blue Jays this season, and they didn't play well. They had scored three runs. If you get Lindor and Springer, surround that with the depth of your team right now. You have guys like Alejandro Kirk, who isn't really getting any playtime in a, a realistic season. You have... Santiago Espinal, who was just waiting and biting at the chance to, to get in the, in the lineup, maybe, you know, as like a pitch hitter or even a pitch runner, anything, you know, he wants to, to be on the Blue Jays. And you surround that depth, that core with Springer and Lindor, you have, in my opinion, one of the better teams in the AL. I think they could actually fight with the Yankees, although the Yankees are, you know, supposedly a super team. We saw this season, they, they had that crazy run where they couldn't even win a game with their life dependent on it, and the Blue Jays were above them. Yeah, I know the Blue Jays eventually fell down and obviously didn't get into that same spot that they were once in. But the Yankees, I think they're a little bit overhyped. And if the Blue Jays do sign George Springer and they do somehow in a trade get Francisco Lindor, we're looking at one of the better teams in the AL because you've got experience, you've got depth, and you've got skilled young talent. Yeah, uh, I agree with you a lot. George Springer is like the perfect player for us. He is a free agent. What is he like? He's got experience, right? All star wise, um, World Series wise, right? He's been there. He's been there, done that. Yeah, it, it is questionable. The the Houston, Houston, I mean, but he was there, right? He was there for the run. He was there with with the, he played with the superstars. He played with the best. He was he played against the top of the top competition. And he was and he went through that that journey of getting to the World Series, right? So just that alone, even though there's a lot of speculation going on with him and his team. I think he'd be really, really, really a valuable key element to the Blue Jays in really building the the young guys, right? Like experience-wise and just teaching them the ropes, honestly. We don't really, because we need a veteran player, yes. But I think you're right on that fact. We do need a veteran player that's been there and done that. In that sense, yeah, George Springer, in my opinion, is the perfect candidate. And if that Lindor does happen, yeah, it'll be amazing. But the question there is then, do these players really do want to come to Toronto, right? Do they? want to come to Toronto or do they not? Because a lot of players honestly don't really want to come to Canada and that is the sad truth in a lot of sports, right? And baseball is like, it's nothing new, right? So if we can pull it off, yeah, that'll be amazing. It will speed up our process of the rebuild, rebuilding stage. But the question is here is, right, will they want to come to Toronto? On top of that, right, will they trade the players to Toronto and vice versa? What do you think on that, Elias? I think besides any sport other than hockey, where in hockey, Toronto is really the mecca of the hockey universe. It is really where a lot of people grew up watching the Leafs. You know, people want to come to Toronto, want to come play for in Canada. You know, it doesn't have to be Toronto, but like same with Montreal. You know, Montreal is a big market in, in the NHL. You have Vancouver, you know, Edmonton, Calgary. You have a lot of Canadian grown players that want to come home and play. 
thing is with baseball, basketball, football, and you know any other sport really, a lot of people don't want to come to play for Canada because you know they're not Canadian. It's not home to them. It's literally a different nation. I think that kind of applies most to basketball and baseball, where like in basketball, we don't have the Canada doesn't have a lot of great Canadian talent that wants to come home and play for Canada. You know, uh, a lot of them have grown accustomed to playing in nations like the U.S., you know, and, and it's hard for them to actually transition their life to a whole different nation, which is it's, it's hard for them. That's why we see a lot of Can- uh, Canada, a lot of their, their their players, some of their players that they've acquired recently are like internationals, you know what I mean? So I think the same applies to baseball in the sense where a lot of the star players are either, you know, uh, Latin America, from Latin America or the U- United States. And if, if they've already played for teams in the u.s and they're from latin america that means they've already adjusted switching to a different nation i imagine trying to do that again that's really hard and i think the biggest thing what with vladimir guerrero and him coming to the blue jays was that he was born in canada so he already knows what life is like in canada i know he didn't grow up there necessarily but still he was he was born there he's had time there he's had experience in there he has the canadian citizenship so it's not really hard for him to really adjust to the life in canada which is really hard for other players to do uh, which is why it, it kind of does beg the question you're right, you know, do these players want to play for Toronto? And that's why Toronto really does have a difficult time of bringing a lot of star free agent quality players to their organization. And that's not only in baseball, but that's in basketball as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I agree with that. So another sport that has been starting up recently and is probably is actually the biggest sport in the whole entire world is soccer or football depending on how you call it. But uh, I want to talk about the Premier League because I got a little issue with my team. I have a little issue with my team, the Arsenal FC, man. Okay, like, Mikel Arteta, what are you you doing, dog? What are you doing? How are you spending all this money? You got Gabriel as your center, center back. You got a CDM in Thomas Partey, and you're still putting up this terrible performance? This is an, an abysmal season. For Arsenal. And to be an Arsenal fan right now, it sucks. And I feel like I'm saying that way too much over the past like five years. Because we've seen consistently trash, trash, and trash. That's all we see. And the thing is with Mikel Arteta is that I don't think he's a bad manager. Even with his performance. I don't think he's bad. I think he just lost the, the, the voice in the locker room. He doesn't have a voice. I don't think the players are buying into the system. And I think that... He has a tactical system that he likes to employ with Arsenal. And I think that other teams are are starting to figure it out. As we saw at the end of last season, when they beat like top-tier teams in Liverpool, Man City, Man U, they're beating top-tier teams. You know, They're beating one of the, the, the better teams in the league. And they, they come back and they're just not the same performance anymore because teams have figured them out. Teams have realized how to play against Arsenal. Teams have figured out, okay, they like to be very uh, – they don't really want the position. They want to – rely on us making a mistake. How can we prevent this from happening? And what I think with Arteta, what he's showing right now is that there's a lot of laziness within his players of him not wanting to switch up the the system that he's employing because teams are figuring it out. And I think that because the teams, the the players in the lineup are, are not buying into the system, you have to play the younger players more. We saw it the other week when they played against Chelsea, we saw it when they played against Brighton. We see it every Thursday night when they seem to dominate in the Europa League. But they come to the Premier League, they're just a shell of themselves because the players are not buying into the system. And, and the younger players that are actually hungry and want to actually play, they're not getting the playtime. 
So I, I think Arteta needs to switch things up here. Play the younger players more. Give Reese Nelson, give uh, Saka a chance. Give uh, Eddie Ketia a chance. Give these players a chance to play. And then maybe we'll see that promise and potential that we were seeing at the end of last season. Someone tell Arteta to fix up, to be honest, bro. I'm this close, like this close to not being an Arsenal fan anymore. Like the past four or five years, we've been trashed. And I tell people now, like we all thought Wenger was the problem. Like, oh, that's why we're not like, that's why we haven't carried the, that's why we haven't carried the trophy. We're always fourth, we're always third, we're always fourth. But this man kept us in top four consistently for how many years? For a long time. And we all thought it was the problem. But now we can see he's not, bro. And we're shit, bro. We're, we're terrible. And I just realized something. Ozil hasn't played this season. I'm not sure why, but if you know why, I'm not sure. I, I, I know why. Because last year, Ozil criticized the Chinese government for the whole entire situation that they're having with the Uyghur Muslims. And if Arsenal plays him, they will lose all of their sponsors. Oh. So they won't play them. So much money if they play him. And I think Arteta wants to play Ozil, but upper management is getting involved and saying, no, you can't play him. And you've seen his tweets. He is hungry. He wants to be on the field. He wants to be on the pitch. He wants to play for Arsenal. He is supporting his team consistently, even without all the, the things that they're they're doing to him. He is still supporting them. And they're not playing him. And it's incredibly sad to see that money is the reason why you're not playing one of your best players. Yes. And that's so sad. And they're still paying him, though. But, like... I'm pretty. I'm sure he's getting paid, but he's... yeah, they still have to pay him. Like he's under contract, but they're they're gonna lose a lot of their sponsors if he does play. So like, it's a lose lose situation. And Chelsea spent a lot of money this off season, but they'd have nothing to show for it. Okay, the thing is, the thing is with Chelsea is that as bad as I think Mikel Arteta is right now, as lo- as 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 much as I've seen the laziness that he's been putting in, the worst thing with with Frank Lampard. It's that he finished third, and honestly, I think Arteta is a better better manager than him. Lampard finishing third last season in the Prem heightened his expectations to a point that he could never match. And he, to me, after all spending all that money in the in, in the in the transfer window, getting all these signings, he's just like he's just purely managing off of vibes. Just straight vibes. Strictly vibes. Like he's just like sitting there one day and it's like, you know what, Werner, I'm gonna play you there now. I'm, I'm gonna switch you up. Pulisic, yeah, he's playing you know in a different position. Yeah, you, know, you know what? Today, no, no, no. Today, today, you're, today, you're not playing. Today, you're not playing because I just don't feel it. But tomorrow, you're, you're definitely play. Like the thing is with Arteta, he has a system. His system isn't working. His system is flawed. Yes, Lampard has no system. And with all the signings that they've had, they just came off the transfer ban. If I'm correct. And they got a lot of these signings, all these acquisitions, and they're they're doing they're doing so bad as well. They they lost to Arsenal, and Arsenal's having the worst season in, in, in that we've seen in decades. We were close to relegation like a week ago. I know we're like thirteen now, but like we were close. Yeah, Arsenal to, is still we're closer to relegation. They're still closer to relegation now than they are to the top of the table. I know. If we end up in the bottom half of the at the end of the season, I don't have an Arsenal jersey, but I'm gonna burn. Uh, an imaginary one, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hopping, I'm hopping on the Man City train if we if we end up in the bottom half. Look, I'll, I'll, say this, I'll say this. I think Arteta needs a full year of him being a manager. I think last season, he came in in December and then his season was postponed. We saw yeah. the problems that he showed after in June. I think right now, it's only 
we're only into January, halfway into his like first really full season as a manager. And we're I think we're gonna see that potential, that promise that we saw at the end of last year start to develop if he starts to play that young players. If we get to May and he's consistently doing the same thing and the the players are still not buying in, then you already know what happened. Like get him out. Like honestly, like as much as I want to be an Arteta supporter, he is just doing a madness in a bad way for this for this organization straight up and especially with psg uh getting rid of their manager their german manager uh a few weeks ago despite him bringing them to the uefa champions league if he's still available at the end of the year and arteta is still doing the things that he's doing you know what you got to do right i don't know why they i don't know why they let him go though the manager uh, he, he, had, uh, he had issues with the uh the the upper management of the club they, they just oh. didn't agree. They didn't see eye to eye. They didn't like each other essentially, um, and that's one of the reasons that he went. He got out. But uh, if he's if he's available and he brought a team to the UEFA Champions League final, I know it's PSG. They're stacked with Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah, they're stacked. But still, he brought a team like PSG to the Champions League final that we haven't seen in, in decades. They've been stacked for a long time. They've never been to the Champions League final. Now, yeah, sure. if you if, if Arteta is doing the same things. In May, we're we're still seeing the same things after the season is concluded, and he and that manager is still available. I, I forgot his name. I'll search it up real quick. If that manager is still available, you have to, you have to get rid of uh, Arteta and, and and get him in. Thomas Tuchel. Sorry, I forgot his name. But you bring in Tuchel, you you get rid of Arteta. You already know what to do, man. Like it's 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 getting to the point where being an Arsenal fan is just it's becoming a meme. Bro, we get televised online. It's not even funny anymore. Like, yeah, like this team is trash, and they got party. They got Thomas Party. People thought he was doing solid problems. They got Gabriel. You know, Abemyang is the captain. He resigns. You know, he's doing like the Black Panther thing. Great for his career with us. Yeah, I know, and it's so sad to see and the hype of this roster and it just to fall apart with before our eyes is just sad, 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 man. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. And Abengi has essentially wasted his career, his prime in Arsenal. He's, he's already like 32 yeah. or 31. And he, resigned. he came to Arsenal to win a big title. Yeah. The biggest title he has won in North London is the FA Cup. <laughs> well. <laughs> I, I know the FA Cup is a title. At the end of the day, Arteta has won a title. But like at the end of the day, is it anything big in terms of no. the brand? The Champions League, or even the Europa. Europa is Europa is nice and all. But Aubameyang, man, I just feel bad, bro. Like he went to Dortmund, he was not wasting his career in Dortmund. He became a star player. He went to Arsenal to really show off that attention that he deserved, and he still is that great player. I know he's not having the greatest of season right now, but he's literally wasting his time in Arsenal. And if I was him, I would not have resigned. I don't know why he did it, but it is what it is, man. It's a sad day to be a Arsenal fan. It's a good day to be a Tottenham fan. I feel like I've been hearing that way too much over the past five years. But I think that's going to do it for today's episode, man. Holy, we've been going on for almost two hours. Uh, be sure to follow our Instagram at keycast.official. Uh, it's the best way to support us. Honestly, uh, we we just want to grow this thing as big as we can. Uh, and if you want to support us, just follow our Instagram. If you want us to talk about a certain thing sports-wise, just... Let us know, um, like shoot us a DM or do anything, and we'll talk about it here on the podcast, really. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for listening to the Keycast, the podcast that unlocks new doors. See ya. I was all scared, don't show me love. Now I do it like a saying while I run it up. Tell me, boy, you insane on the way up. Get your world to the 20s, 
seen why I 